This is Toledo Symphony Lab, a behind-the-scenes look at the world of classical music from WGTE Public Media and your Toledo Symphony. I'm Brad Cresswell. Joining me today are the Toledo Symphony's president and CEO, Zach Vassar, also artistic administrator and principal second violin, Merwin Sue, and our special guest panelist today is principal cello, Martha Ryko, who is performing on the TSO's first chamber concert of the season at the Toledo Club, That's happening this Sunday, September 17th at 7 o'clock in the evening. So welcome everybody to our first episode. This is our maiden voyage of Toledo Symphony Lab. I'm sure you're all as excited as I am. Let's just talk briefly about what we hope to accomplish with Symphony Lab. This is a collaboration between WGTE and the Toledo Symphony. It's a great way for us to speak directly to the audience uh, outside of the concert hall. Zach, how do you... How do you see this podcast going forward? So this program was really made possible by a generous gift made by the estate of a good friend of the Toledo Symphonies, Barbara Garwood. Uh, She was a a loyal listener and the orchestra meant a lot to her. Uh, She passed away in 2016 and her her family came to us, uh, her daughter Paula and her sons Tim and Mike, and they asked if, if... her gift to the orchestra could make something possible that we've never done before that we've always wanted to do. So the idea of a weekly radio program came up very quickly and the family loved it. And uh, so her three kids were very enthusiastic about making Toledo Symphony Lab. I'm very happy for them to have made this possible for us. There's so many aspects to an orchestra that people don't see by the time they come to a concert. So there's, there's a behind the scenes real experience with musicians. There's a behind the scenes staff experience with the administration. There, there's a whole lot of color in this world. And I love this idea of a podcast being able to open it up to everybody. Yeah. And, and we're also airing it on the radio. So it's a radio series slash podcast, but we will have these episodes available on the website at WGTE.org. In fact, we will publish them there at the same time that this uh, show airs, Wednesdays at 3.30 p.m. on FM 91. Merwin, uh, it, it's great to have you along as well for the podcast. You've been here many times before, but it's a slightly different format this time. We're going to shake it up a little bit. I love the conversation, love the chance to get to really know some of the people behind the music as well. We're going to be bringing in some wonderful guests, some wonderful panelists who will be sharing their insights. And I think one of the great gifts about a series like this is the chance to really interact with some of the wonderful personalities who bring their bring their special insights to the music. Well, you, dear listener, can tell us uh, how we're doing as we go along. We have a Q&A phone line where you can call up, leave messages, leave questions. We want to hear from you. And uh, that number is 419-418-0012. Again, 419-418-0012. Call up the uh, question and answer phone line. Leave your comments, leave your questions, and we may incorporate some of those uh, in future episodes on the air. So we'd love to hear from you. Now, the subject of the day is Bach, Johann Sebastian Bach, and uh, we've got two of his works on that upcoming chamber concert, the solo cello suites, or at least one of those, and uh, the entire Goldberg Variations. So we're going to break the ice here, get things moving with something I've put together. It's a little Bach quiz. Okay, and uh, just a couple of questions to start off with to get us uh, get us warmed up here. Feel free to chime in. We don't have any buzzers or bells, but just raise your hand and, and I will call 
on you. Now, here is a multiple choice question. How many in the extended family Bach tree were actually named Johann? Is it 23, 52, or 107? How many were named Johann? Yeah, how many How many Johann Bachs were there in the Bach family tree? I'll go for 23. No, I'm sorry, that's incorrect. <laughs> the correct answer is 52. There were 52 Johann Box. Not uh, all your How does that work at a, uh, at a family reunion? Uh, yeah, you have to wonder. The name tags, right? Well, this is why they have all the ab- abbreviations of their names, right? Now, here's how, a sub-question. How many Carls were there? How many what? Carls. Carls? Wilhelms? Mm-hmm. Quite, quite a few, yeah. There's Carls, and, uh, Carls Jr., right? <laughs> so this is called Bach or not. So all you have to do is answer Bach or not, okay? Here's the first one. I-L-B Bach. Not Bach. Not Bach. That's correct. J.C. Bach. Yes. Definitely Bach. You know how many J.C.'s there were? Now, this is kind of like your Carl question, although there are a few Christians in there as well. How many J.C.'s? There were 14 J.C. Bachs. How about B.R.B. Bach? (laughs) Not Bach. Not Bach. B.F.F. Bach. (laughs) We're going not Bach. Not Bach. P.C. Bach. Wow. That sounds appropriate. Let's go with a yes. Seems reasonable. That is a Bach. Philippe Christian Bach. Now, let's um, go with a few full names here, and you tell me if these are real members of the Bach family or not, okay? George Michael Bach. (laughs) 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 That is true. He did live, although they call him Georg Michael (laughs) Bach, right? How about Fight Bach? Don't fight Bach. <laughs> He's uh, married to turn the other cheek, right? Now, don't forget, in German, fight would be spelled V-E-I-T. So, fight Bach was actually the patriarch of the Bach family. So, he, he really oh, did live. Goodness. He was born in the 1500s, a founder of the Bach dynasty. How about uh, Kaspar, Melchior, and Balthazar Bach? Do those names sound familiar? Martha, you have to answer this one. Uh, not to me. <laughs> I, this feels like... Um, Something that you put above your door for a saint's day? Well, it's a three magic. Yeah, so right? I'm going to say no to them as all being Bach members. No, they were all Bach members. Really? They were all uh, members of the same close family. Melchior was the son of Kaspar. And then wow. Kaspar also had another son named Kaspar. <laughs> so it was popular. Balthazar was somebody's cousin, I guess. But we are going extended Bach family at yeah, this point, extended not immediate. Bach. Okay. The full Bach family tree, okay. right? Great. Now, just a couple left here. Um, this one is uh, Lips Bach, not a trumpet player as far as I know. Is that is a Bach a nickname? or not? Lips, Lips, Lips Bach. Spelled L-I-P-S? Yeah. I'm going to say no. Oh, it is. Philippus, and his nickname was Leaps Bach. <laughs> How about uh, Blender Bach? Cousin of Toaster Bach. <laughs> No, Blunderbach. Yes or no? I think I'm batting zero here, so you guys have to take this one. What do you say? I'm going to say no to this one as well. It is a yes. Heinrich Blinder Jonas Bach. We don't know when he was born, but we know he died in 1635. Wow. So so how big a dynasty? Like, was this a big deal? Was this family known across Europe at at this time? Oh, yeah. It was a huge, uh, as far as I know, a huge uh, musical dynasty. Mm -hmm. Although, you know, in Johann's time, he was not nearly as well-known as he is nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was sort of like the musician's musician, you know. All the, all the people down the line knew who he was and looked back to him as this great master. But he was not quite as popular as uh, he is now in the, in the common uh, consciousness, as it were, in the public consciousness. 
I feel like if you're twenty, you have twenty kids. There's at least some popularity there. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, over the course of two wives, so yeah, and, and many of them became some of them at least became composers. And, and in the case of C. P. Ebach, he was a lot more famous uh, in his time mm-hmm. than Johann Sebastian was. So let's move on to the Goldberg variations. We're going to talk about Goldberg today, and uh, Martha's going to tell us about the arrangement of Goldberg that uh, they're bringing into the Toledo Club on Sunday. But uh, before we get started with that, who wants to talk about why it's called the Goldberg (laughs) Variations, just for folks who don't know? Somebody besides me tell the story. (laughs) Well, I don't think there's a really comfortable historical consensus, but the best story is that it was written for a Count Kaiserling who had trouble falling asleep. And he had brought into his household a Johann Gottlieb Goldberg, who was uh, about a 13 or 14-year-old harpsichordist who Bach was training. And uh, so the story goes that that Count Kaiserlink commissioned a series of variations that were to be of some sort of a pleasing, somewhat cheerful nature, and that these variations would be played by his protege in the next room if the Count was suffering from a a bout of insomnia. Um, There's a lot of reasons to disbelieve this story, but it was vouched for by some of Bach's sons, though I guess the previous segment (laughs) demonstrates that we might not know as much about Bach's sons as we thought we did. So perhaps that's maybe not the, 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 the source that I, I thought that they were, but it's, it, it is the story behind it. It wasn't a title that Bach used. Yeah. I I think it was his first biographer, maybe, that Mm -hmm. that printed that story. Mm -hmm. I mean, most people will say that it's not true. It's apocryphal. But it it is possible that Goldberg uh, used them to -hmm. play for the Count, to put him to sleep at night. They weren't necessarily made for that purpose, but Mm -hmm. they were perhaps repurposed by Goldberg for that use, and the story got out and was disseminated and eventually became part of the, the lore. Zach, I know you have your own Goldberg story. You want to tell that mm-hmm. for us? So I grew up uh, taking piano lessons, and the uh, the fellow who taught me was a guy named Chad Smith. He was fascinated with this pianist named Glenn Gould, and uh, Glenn Gould was there and fascinated with the Goldberg variation. So it's kind of an interesting story. Glenn Gould was... Uh, kind of flying onto the scene in the mid-50s with a a recording of the Goldberg Variations on piano, which is still a famous recording. And it's known for its its, its speed. It's very fleet. There's uh, a lot of perfection in the phrasing and uh, played on piano instead of a harpsichord. It was a little adventuresome at the time. Uh, He went on to record it again, one of the few pieces he recorded twice at the end of his life. He didn't know it at the time, but it came out in the early 80s, and it was his last full recording on piano. So for Glenn Gould, this piece was was very interesting and uh, part of his fascination. And it's kind of fascinating for us now to listen to the two versions that he left us of the Goldbergs. One is very fast and youth-filled, and the other is uh, definitely an older man's meditation on the Goldbergs. The string trio arrangement is so meaningful to me that when my wife and I were trying to plan 
our wedding, we couldn't agree on what music to perform. But then we thought of the Goldbergs, which means a lot to both of us in this recording, in this arrangement especially. So we took variations from the Goldbergs and applied them to our wedding ceremony. Wow. So uh, the, the processional was the 30th variation, and it's very lively. And then it comes to this great cadence, and then everything goes quiet, and the aria has its reprise, and that's what my wife walked down the aisle to. Now, there are lots of different versions of the Goldberg. It's not like you just sit down and play it and that's mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to play a supercut for you uh, of uh, the aria from Goldberg Variations. And this is just a potpourri of all different arrangements, all different versions that have been done over the years. And there are many, many more besides the ones I have here. But it starts out with a 1930s recording on harpsichord by Vanda Landowska who was a famous harpsichordist, and she was the first really to record the Goldberg at the harpsichord. Um, before that, in the early 1900s, Ferruccio Buzzoni used to go around and play his version on the piano of Goldberg, which he, he sliced and diced it so it was digestible, you know, for his audience, and he added little frills and bits and pieces here and there. But uh, Landowska tried to make it as, you know, as authentic as possible. We hear a little bit of that in this uh, supercut, along with both of those uh, Glenn Gould recordings. See if you can pick them out here. At the end, you know, if you can name all of them, then you get a special prize. But I don't think I can name all of them. So let's listen to it now. This is the Goldberg supercut. I'm going to leave our microphones open so you can we can talk and uh, react if we want to during this music. You're listening to uh, Toledo Symphony Lab here on FM 91. Fifty-five. 
that's 81. Yeah. a lot of different versions there of the uh, Goldberg variations. Zach, I saw your eyebrows go up at that one piano thing. Right after the jazz trio, which was Jacques Lussier, then we had uh, Uri Kane, who was in a whole bunch of different uh, versions of Goldberg, mm-hmm. but that was his kind of jazzy take on the, the aria. That's great. Right there. We should probably set up the aria to describe the form. Yeah. So the, uh, the Goldbergs themselves have... Um, there, there are 30 variations on the aria. And then the aria starts it off. There's the 30 variations, and the, the aria comes back at the end, mm-hmm. which is kind of a wonderful structure. Um, but the aria itself is kind of this hallowed ground for me. And there's a sense that it's just a kind of a floating, very delicate melody. And it's amazing to listen to the rest of the variations that come beyond it. But it kind of has the shimmering quality, which is true across all of the wonderful and maybe not so wonderful versions you just played. Yeah. Um, but there's something really delicate about it and very sincere. Well, it's one of the very few pieces in the repertoire that Bach wrote that are actually symmetrical. He always tended towards kind of like golden section sort of proportions yeah. or, and a lot of his binary forms, the second, the second part happens to be longer than the first part, but there's something about this that's just incredibly symmetrical and so when so it does have this tendency to float maybe unlike Mm -hmm. some of the other some of the other pieces i want to talk to martha about this uh, string trio arrangement because bach wrote this for a, a harpsichord with two keyboards two manuals and we just heard a lot of different arrangements there, and, and it was hard to pick out, but we did hear a little bit of the string trio arrangement that you're doing at the Toledo Club, and this is an arrangement by Dmitry Sitkovetsky, right? And as I understand it, you brought that arrangement to the symphony. Can you tell us how that happened? Uh, well, Dmitry Sitkovetsky was um, music director for the Koshom Music Festival for a number of years, and at the time, I was with a chamber music, small chamber music group in Detroit, and we attended the festival and participated in it. He had just finished this transcription, and he, along with uh, Gerard Cosset, a violist, and uh, Misha Maisky, the cellist, performed the Goldberg on the first concert of the music festival in a church in Vasa, Finland. Yeah. And... I was spellbound. I could not take my eyes off these players. And through the opening aria and through all 30 variations into the reprise of the aria, I was riveted. And when it was finished, I looked to my colleagues on each side and I could see on their faces they felt the same thing and felt that we had witnessed something truly spectacular and miraculous. I've heard it said that uh, this arrangement and the other arrangements that Sitkovetsky has done 
of the Goldberg kind of lifted into tone poem territory. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's a little bit of a romantic sheen that's added to um, music of Bach, but Bach transports so well to that kind of approach. And he also transports well to even other genres, as we heard the little jazz trio playing some Bach. And all you have to do is add a little swing or a little extra syncopation and, and a beat, and it sounds absolutely recognizable as Bach, but absolutely recognizable as jazz as well. Mm-hmm. And can you talk a little bit about like your impressions of what more does this arrangement add to those Goldberg variations than just in its keyboard version? Well, on the harpsichord and the piano, there is a decay in sound once the key is struck. And on a stringed instrument, you can sustain for a long-valued note. Therefore, it gives a more singing quality mm-hmm. to the music, and it f- flows, and it's it's really nice. There's also kind of a spatial thing as well. I don't know if you'd call it stereo or surround sound or what, but when you pass from one instrument to another uh, and go back to the – you have this circular – sound that's actually in a different space between three players, whereas on a keyboard, it's right there in one yeah. area. Yeah. So I think Bach would have liked that. <laughs> I, I do. Yeah. I think he... Oh, I would agree. I mean, I mean, Bach was, you know, he was like cutting edge for his time. Everybody that had a new organ they wanted to try out or something new or interesting, they always called on Bach to, you know, put it through its paces. I'm sure he would have been thrilled with... Uh, not only modern arrangements, but modern instruments playing it well. I'm not sure what he would think of the Moog synthesizer. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. I don't. I kind of like it, but you know, there's uh, something about these variations that uh, are kind of magical because people keep trying to make their own variations on these variations with these different arrangements. So the the magic is there in the in the notes, and the there's something about the string trio arrangement that really captures my attention because it does free the lyric in a way if for all the variations too, even the ones that are more fast or more melancholy, there's, there's a sense that it, it feels more true. And, and I don't know if the, the Moog would, would necessarily qualify in that territory. No. And, um, uh, this string trio just makes me feel like this is the most whole that the Goldbergs can become. Martha, do you have a, a favorite moment or a favorite movement or variation in that uh, That would arrangement? be like asking if I have a favorite child. No. <laughs> it, uh, I do think the aria is, is something special. And I think when it comes back at the very end, um, in the, in the um, recording that Sitkovetsky does, it's just a little bit slower and more kind of reminiscent and... It's just, it just tugs at my heart. It just is so beautiful. It so beautiful, it hurts. I'm Brad Cresswell. It's Toledo Symphony Lab. And uh, again, Martha Ryko, who is our special guest today, she's performing that string trio arrangement along with her colleagues, uh, Theo Prokes and Tim Zeithamel. That's 
At the first chamber concert of the season, the Goldberg Variations, uh, Sunday at 7 o'clock p.m. at the Toledo Club. And Zach, you were saying that uh, this whole program is inspired by the uh, Bach Around the Clock that you did at the museum a while back. That's right. 2016, we did Bach Around the Clock, which is 24 hours of Bach as conceived by Merwin. And uh, the same trio performed this. So Martha, Tim, and Taya performed this in a great gallery at Bach Around the Clock in 2016. And a lot of our audience was spellbound by it. So a lot of the characteristics that Martha was describing from her first hearing of the string trio arrangement, a lot of people in the great gallery felt the same way. One of the things I'll never forget is really how the marathon began. We started it at sunrise um, on the on the museum grounds outside the glass salon, and there were people doing sun salutations. Um, there were it was over 150 people at sunrise, and it was really amazing. And Rene Goubeau, um performed the first cello suite, and it was gently raining at the time. Um, and we were somewhat impressed by her courage to be able to play play with her cello outdoors. But then this gorgeous rainbow basically blessed the entire festival. And it was a really, really beautiful image to see these people doing yoga, listening to the first cello suite and this rainbow over the entire museum. Really, I'll never really forget that image. Damon Coleman with part of the cello suite number one in G major of Johann Sebastian Bach. You can hear Damon perform that entire cello suite along with uh, the Goldberg variations in their entirety, also in the string trio arrangement that we've been talking about today. That is at the first chamber uh, concert of the season from Toledo Symphony. It's this Sunday at 7 o'clock p.m. at the Toledo Club. More information at 419-246-8000 or toledosymphony.com. Toledo Symphony Lab is generously underwritten by the estate of Barbara Garwood and is a production of WGTE Public Media in collaboration with the Toledo Symphony. You can download episodes of this program as a podcast by going to our website. That's at wgte.org. Coming up in future episodes, we want to hear from you. The theme is everything you always wanted to know about the symphony but were afraid to ask. Well, fear not. Give us a call. Ask your questions. The number is 419-418-0012. Again, 419-418-0012. We want to hear from you, and we may use your comments or questions in future episodes on the air. 
My thanks to Zach Vasser and Merwin Sue, and special thanks to our guest, Martha Ryko, for joining us today. I'm Brad Cresswell, and this has been Toledo Symphony Lab here on FM 91.